This week's guest has shared a dressing room with Chris Boyd, James McFadden, Derek Ryden, Gary O'Connor and Alan Hutton. He also played his part in Helicopter Sunday. Willie Knibber came through the ranks at Motherwell and won six Scotland under 21 caps. But since then he's quit full-time football for a career in the police. Right now his focus is also on managing Gart Ken in the west of Scotland League. It's not been an easy season with Covid and player departures to contend with. We'll hear how Willie has found things and hear his thoughts on where the shutdown leaves clubs like Gart Ken. Plus, we'll look back at his playing days, which also saw him turn out for the likes of Partick, Irvin Meadow, Canvas Long Rangers and Thornywood United. It's all here as we go in the divisions. Good to have you along for another 60 minutes or so looking at Scotland's lower leagues. Paul, no football on the pitch uh, this week for New Mains United, but uh, but a win off it. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely delighted this week. We won as a global competition run by Umbro, and it was to take grassroots clubs from all around the world uh, and we to send in a small video. Now, this come about 15 months ago after we'd done a documentary at the club and a... Uh, the guy who done the documentary, Paul Cassidy, gave us a small clip of a video and we uploaded it to Umbro. I never thought anything more of it. And New Mains United have won it for the UK. So I think there was six winners, one from UK, one from Argentina, Chile, Italy, Germany, Holland. So we're now involved in the new launch of their new kit and they'll be providing kit for every team at the club training kit, tracksuits, balls and all that for for the next year and it's on the Umbro website already so I'm absolutely delighted to to win that for all the teams in Great Britain Manager's jacket? Don't know about that, right. good gilet maybe get a gilet out them <laughs> <laughs> Well congratulations we'll, uh, we'll look out for the the kit launch when when that comes uh, a quick word for our sponsors media agency 44 Creative if you're looking for photographers, graphic designers, videographers, or video editors to help promote your content, brand, organization, or event, then they'd love to hear from you. They make creation personal. Find out more at www.44creativehq.com. We'll include that link in the show's description on your podcast player too. Back to the show, and please do keep the comments and suggestions for guests coming. If you're a club in the lower leagues looking for more exposure, we'd also like to hear from you. Our email address is divisions at gmail.com. That's divisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. This is Des Roach, ex-referee, Cabernet Leadside Assistant Manager, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Got Ken Gaffer, Willie Kinimbra is with us this week. Thanks for being with us, Willie. It's my pleasure. We'll, uh, we'll chat some more in a moment, but before we do, we've got the Down the Divisions decider. We'll give you four clues for a particular club from League One down, then reveal the answer at the end of the show. You're on the clues this week, Paul, so off you go. This is easy this week. I say this every week, but generally you will get it. You will get it too. You'll get it. Right, so they were founded in 1877, 100 years before I was born, right? They've won three Scottish Cups. Pat Nevin played for them. 
and they've been managed by Billy McNeil, Alex Smith, Alan Maitland, and Billy Reid. Couple of puzzled faces there. I've got you it. Will, you will. Ah, you joke me. Is it that easy? There you go. Wow. Well, I'm saying that. I could be wrong, Paul. You might be wrong. You might be. So answers at the end of the show. I'm David Gormley, manager of Rossville Football Club, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. God, Ken, boss, Willie Kinnebra is with us. Um, first of all, Willie, how have you been getting through the latest lockdown with no games? Yeah, it's been difficult for everybody. Uh, I think we're all missing being on the football park, training and playing games and it's really unfortunate, but unprecedented times for everybody. And you know, there's a there's a bigger picture. So we've, you know, as I've been told many a time from the other members of my household to stop mourning about football. There's bigger things in the world. <laughs> Surely not. Yeah, I know, I know. Not in my brain, there's no. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I know, it's, it is difficult to to know mourn when you're when you're used to being out there on the, the Mondays and the. Wednesday nights and stuff like that, and it's, it's that you just want everything to get back to normal as, as soon as possible. I mean, how, how do you how do you think it leaves the West of Scotland League at the minute? I mean, is there fear here that I mean we're not far away from the period when the league was stopped last year? You know, it's only what six weeks away, and we, we won't be far off the middle of March. Um, is your fear that this might not get going again? Uh, I think it's. It, Realistically, but you're we're probably looking at March if we can get back at all. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, for it not being promotion in the leagues that, that we're in, doesn't matter too much. But the boys in the, the leagues above, you know, it's difficult because that's when you get all these different formulas that came out about who's going to win the league and who's going to who's going to get promoted and stuff like that. So it's. Um, it's a difficult one for for all the, the associations involved in it and how they, how they work that out. You know, we just we just hope and pray that everything gets back to some sort of normality so that we can we can settle into a to a proper league structure uh, as, for the start of next season. There was a email come out this week, Gareth, that uh, it's going to be a new kind of set of fixtures put out. It's going to call match day one now from our club, New Mains. We're in a small group anyway, but. The way the fixtures have worked out already is we've played Joker twice, and we've some. I think we've only played four or five games. Played Joker twice, and there's teams that we've we've not played. I don't know. And they're now talking Wally about maybe only playing each other once to the end of the season. Would you just rather finish it now, or would you rather be going and just playing one game at a time? I know Gart Cairn's been quite vocal. Uh, the committee's been quite vocal about non-competitive football and stuff like that this year, would you rather see an end to it? I think that brings its own challenges if you if you do stop. You're almost starting again from scratch come the, the start of the, the next season, whenever that may be. Uh, if you don't play, the, the kind of pros and cons are obviously you, you save money and facilities and boys travelling and... Uh, and during this time, I, I totally understand that. But from a, a sort of manager's point of view, you just want to be out there doing doing what you do and trying to build a squad and trying to get keep the boys ticking over, not just physically, mentally as well. Because I've said this a few times to a few different people, I think we're we're in 
a kind of realm of losing a lot of players to work, to family, to things that they weren't probably used to doing on a Saturday. That, you know, if your gaffer's turning about to you and offering you a shift on a Saturday and you're, you're earning X amount of pounds that you're, that you're not used to, suddenly at the end of the month that becomes the norm. Two, three, four months in a row. And you maybe go, oh, do you know what? I'll just leave the football. I'll go and play Sunday League with the pub leagues. And I can, I really do hope that we don't lose a lot of good talent because I can see it happening. I really can. You've probably been asked this. You're probably sick of answering it. But obviously, at the beginning of the season, you signed a host of big players. Big players and everything. Me included, I'm thinking, do you know what? You've got great contacts in the game, Willie. They're going to go and they're going to kind of run away with this league. This is all kind of pre what's happened. But over over the course, obviously, some of those guys have now decided that they're they're going to move on. Would you say that's because of the the COVID situation, or is it just maybe they've had bigger opportunities elsewhere? As soon as it became non-competitive, we were snookered. We we were trying to keep guys there who coming to the tail end of their career wanted to play and it means something and we, we were trying to keep a hold of them and rightly or wrongly they don't they don't give us 100% even I, I'd probably be you know critical of myself and say that you, you're there and you're trying and you're, you're doing your best to win games and see when it doesn't mean anything and there's no three points in that, I know there is three points but realistically you're not winning anything at the end of it it's, it's a kind of snowball effect and the things don't, especially guys that have came from Championship League One and they're turning up and they're trying to get changed in their car and it's blowing a gale and it's freezing cold and they're looking at you and I can tell exactly what they're thinking. I've been there myself. <laughs> they're going, what's this all about? You know, are you kidding me on? This is not you sold me when I, when I brought you here. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of trying to justify it with COVID and it is that's exactly what it is don't get me wrong some of the changing facilities you go to are great but at least it's a roof over your head and you got a shit you got a, hot, a lukewarm shower after it yes, but it's it's just there's been a whole host of things that have been kind of just really difficult really challenging and even when I when I was a player and I, I turned up and you've got a muddy stand up the back and you're walking in and you're going oh here we go you're freezing cold before you've even got your boots on and you're walking up and you know that's that's probably because we've been playing in you know SPL playing in the championship and you're used to these people doing things for you and then you're suddenly having to drive your own car wash your own strip turn up you know get get your no getting a shower after it and then drive all the way up the road depending on where you are playing you maybe have half an hour 45 minutes bogging to drive home and we've done it and we've been grateful that it's actually we're able to do it because a lot of the amateur guys haven't but it's still tough to try and g your, g your guys up especially the boys that we had brought in to, to do that i certainly know alec and martin quite well who, who run the club and the work that the guys have put in you know blood sweat and tears not just financially but blood sweat and tears what's their take on it how have they if they spoke to you and said, let's just get this out of the road at the moment, Willie, and, and, and we go again next year, or are they, do they see concerns with it all? I think Alex obviously in charge of the East of Scotland Juniors, yeah, so he's quite 
quite well in the know. And they've been great. They have been great with what the what they're doing and they're trying to get the, the changing facilities are all getting upgraded up at our park and the stands getting put in place as well. So I mean, the, off the field, it's it's looking tip top. And the, the backing that they give you as a manager is is fantastic. You can't ask for any more. So it's you, you really need next season to come and get the boys on the part that are going to do the business for them. Because I know they're ambitious. You'll know that yourselves. They want to, you know, there's no end to where they want to go. So we really need to try and get the players that will do it. And just hope it's easier. It is a lot easier to do that in the summer to, to attract boys, uh, guys that are going to, come in and, and try and win a very, very difficult league because it's also a shock to people who come down from, you know, pro football, as they call it. I went to Elvin Meadow, uh, straight from Partick Thistle, in the first couple of games, you're like, ah, well, here we go, this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. You know, it's different, it's fast, there's, there's no rhyme or reason for things people do on the park that you're not used to. There's absolutely no time in the ball. That's just doesn't happen. People chase you down, and guys are straight off the, their shift, straight to training, give a hundred percent, and then away they go again. And you've got to commend every one of them for doing it. And it's difficult, very, very difficult. So you need to bring the right characters in as well, the ones that, that know what it's all about. Uh, there's been a few teams we've played this year, and you look at them, and they've got some ex-pros in their team, and they've got some boys that have been about the junior games, and you go. Ah, fair play, you know, they're, they're smashing teams and they're doing very well, so I think regardless of who you bring in, it's never easy Paul mentioned the guys you did bring in just in, in case the listeners don't know, um, Gary Harkin signed, Martin Gray signed, Stephen Saunders signed, uh, I think I'm right in saying, I think Gary left didn't kick a ball competitively, Stephen went to East Kilbride and, and Martin went back to BSC um, I mean, did, did you did you even try and persuade them to say or to stay, or, or were you basically kind of like realizing you were facing facing a bit of a losing battle? No, I mean you can ask, but when they tell you no, there's no much point in chasing up. You know, there's we had Tony Wallace. He spat the dummy out, didn't he fancy it? Thought he was better than your club, so he didn't kick a ball. Um, Big Jibsy, brilliant player, again non-competitive. He's like, ah, this isn't for me. That's fair enough. Stephen played. Stephen came and played, and then East Kilbride bought him, which you know we can't argue about. That's just how it goes. Uh, and big, big Paolo wanted to finish the season competitive and try and win promotion with BSE, who's obviously been at for a long time. So again, couldn't stand in his way because what what are we offering them? Non-competitive football, which which isn't isn't great for a guy that's 36 year old and wants to kind of end his, end his season with a team that he's been at for a long time trying to gain promotion. How did you take it, well, because I know from a manager's point of view, and you think you've got players in your team and you try to build your team around them and you think, do you know what, they're good guys, they're always at training, and then just out the blue, both out the blue, they come in and say, oh, been offered us somewhere else, and you, you can't take it, you take it, but I, I take it personally, I think, what could we have done more to have kept them? What could we have done that? Or do you just think now it's they've been offered that, but they've been offered bigger things, and that's just how it's going to be? Uh, it's difficult not to take it personally. It really is. It's um, I suppose it depends on the reasons why they want to go. You know, if 
for what big, you know, Jeeves and Saunders and Martin, you know, you've not really got any any qualms with what they've done because you know it's not it isn't personal. They're just like look, you know, time to move on or time not to play at all. So it's not when a guy comes in and says, listen, I hate this. I'm not enjoying training. I'm not enjoying your tactics or whatever. Then you're like, <laughs> then it is difficult. You're like, a very good guy. You know that's. I'm right, that's, that's Jean, this you is, do take personal. <laughs> this is your this is your first managerial job, isn't it? Yeah. So how how have you found it? Because anybody that knows you, life and soul, the dressing room, always up for a laugh. Do you know what I mean? It's just probably throughout all the change rooms you've been in, causing chaos. Then you take this role on, and then you've got to be that guy that's that's picking the team and put up with, or put up all the other nonsense that goes on. How have you found that? Yeah, it's and I've you know I've never got the the sort of the old Terry Butcher stand two and a half inches away from your nose, you know, just about to rip the shirt off your top and pummel you into oblivion, you know, that's not me, that's <laughs> not how I go about things, it's, I'm, I prefer, just to speak most of the time when you lose your temper, it's no, you're, you're not like a raving lunatic putting teacups and balls about the changing room, you know, that's, I think times have changed, it's not like that, it's, I don't know about you right enough, but <laughs> times have changed, it's not, it's not quite like that now, it's in what we do, but, no, uh, the more uh, I can accept it when it's my fault. It's you know if I've made a decision and it's not worked out, I'm quite happy to accept that. But when you feel as if a player's not giving you everything, that's a difficult one. That's a difficult one to accept, and you're kind of trying to the hands are shaking with anger, you know, and you're, you're just trying to calm yourself down, a couple of deep breaths, and speak to them, and just try and work out what what's went wrong and how to fix it. So I've I've taken a different approach to to, my, to certainly the managers that I was brought up with, um, and uh, we'll see if it works or not. And the assistants, because more could go on one, couldn't they? More is my boss. How was that? No, if you want the big tail, was they threatening you with leather on you than Morris was? So you know it was a <laughs> a double-handed punch every time you were. Walking by Morris, that's where he built you right in the back of the head, and well, he was a he was a hard day, man, Morris. And obviously, because of the way the seasons went, I need to ask you: Are you enjoying it? Do you enjoy? Are you enjoying the management side? Is it something that you think I I love this because it, it's hard. It is hard. It's certainly hard for him. You know, it's hard to get players and stuff like that. But like, it's a difficult Saturdays. I know the same. Are you enjoying your, your time there? Yeah, yeah no. Uh, <laughs> see when you take a doing on a Saturday and you're, you're sitting and you're trying to have your dinner and you're trying to have a couple of drinks. Oh, we've had a couple of them, Willie. And your mind is wandering back to the game about, oh my God, what did he do that for? Oh no, no what did, shouldn't I have made that sub? Or, and it's that's difficult to switch off. Yeah, it is, it's very difficult. But I think I think if you didn't, you wouldn't care. It just shows you that you do care. You know, if you weren't if you weren't bothering about it on a Saturday or a Sunday, or lying in bed at four in the morning on a Saturday night, still greeting into your pillow about how bad you were on the Saturday, then you know you wouldn't care. So I don't think I'll ever change that way. But I try and just when I come in the house, just 
deep breath and forget about it until the next the next day. Yeah, and then then phone Milsey and John and have about a two hour greeting meeting. We had uh, we had BSC manager uh, Stephen Swift on a few weeks back, and uh, as a player, he was known as a bit of life and soul, and 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 he he made no qualms about it. He said he knew he had to kind of be a different persona, different character going in as that leader. I know what you just said there about how you're different to some of the guys who managed you, but has there been an element of that with yourself where you've looked at yourself and how you were going to behave and how you're going to lead and how you can't maybe be that life and soul quite as much as you were as a player without at the same time taking away everything about you as a as a guy? Oh, if I did what I did in the changing room as a player, as a manager, I'd be, I think I wouldn't last about a week. I'd be sacked. So <laughs> the, the committee would have a fit. All the, players, all the players' gear would be cut up and stuff put in their cars and registration plates changed. And ah, that would, no, no. Got to change. I've just got to get older and grow up. You know, I was like Peter Pan when I was playing. And I didn't, just a, a daft boy, but. Nah, we bit older and a wee bit wiser now, so not quite as bad. And then did you have that? Did you have that kind of, I don't know, discussion with yourself, if you like, about how you would have to change, or how, or was that just constant sort of gradually evolved into what you are today without really putting too much thought into it? Once you, once I left football full time, yeah, kind of change. You know, your your day to day job takes over and. I don't think people would be best pleased if I was cartwheeling in their house when they've just had half their, half their stuff nicked at their house and stuff like that, you know. So I had to start to put the, the kind of serious face on and, you know, talk nice and nice and quiet and nice and controlled. So, you know, that, that kind of changed me quite quite a bit. I know what I'd jump ahead, but Penny's just dropped to me. He said changing number of plates and cars. We had somebody on this show. He was telling us about a wind-up that while he was involved in the end-up got to court. I just, tell a story. What had happened? It was, it was a kind of ongoing feud with me and Craig Hinchcliffe and Ian Maxwell. You know, I'd go and I'd get their clothes or something and and then they would get me back. So I had changed Big Hinch's registration plates. Uh, so he was driving about the West End of Glasgow for about a week. Sorry. Say that I love jism. And it was <laughs> so. I knew I knew that he, he had I don't know how I knew but I knew he had nine points in his license. So he's come in. He's laughing and joking. He's like, no, it was a good prank, very good, ha ha ha. Says, however, I've had this ticket and it was I looked at it, so it was a police police ticket for three points. Even though if I know now you don't get bloody three points for that. But, <laughs> uh, it was always like, all right, okay, ha ha, very good. He says, no, I, I'll need to go and go to court and challenge this. And obviously say that I didn't realise and it was you that done it. And I was like, right, OK. So I didn't believe him. No, I was like, very good. And then a, a citation get delivered to my house. So, right, <laughs> uh, this is a wee bit more serious now. Sure enough, looked at it, right, th- you know, right thing. Showed it to wee Dossa, who has probably had many citations and knew fine well that it was a real one. And uh, kind of started to believe it. I got a phone call from who was meant to be a lawyer. Spoke all the lingo, did everything. Right, okay. And then Ian McCall came in. 
I actually said, listen, just come in to training after your court date. I thought, right, OK. Right, it must be real. So sure enough, I've turned up at the old district court down in Glasgow. And as I've walked around the corner from St Andrew's Square, all the boys are outside district <laughs> and she's got a, his overall and a mop on top of his head getting on as a judge for the day so. I hope I've no ruined your uh, inside the mind there your the best prank Aye, so, so back to the management I digressed a wee bit there back to the management going forward you'd be keen to finish this season just to kind of keep a bit of unity in the squad so boys are still together still training and, and try and build again, I suppose, for next season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, regardless if it's even four or five games before the rest of the season kind of peters out, then get as many as many boys game time as we can and with the hope of, of next year coming in and seeing as many boys that's possibly going to take us forward. Uh, for those who don't know, when when uh, when football was stopped uh, the, the other week, um, you were sitting eighth in Conference B, two wins, uh, and you're 17 points behind the leaders in the Austin. Uh, you scored 16, conceded 23. Defense being the defensive record being not a big part. <laughs> what defense? <laughs> defense has not been there. There's <laughs> uh, been a big part uh, of, uh, big I know. I missed. I missed the first first two games. Uh, I was over in in Italy. And then I had to quarantine when I come back. And then that was Port Glasgow and away, away to Luger. And then from then on, it was, we, we create chances, no bother, but it's almost as if every time a team went forward against us, they're getting an opportunity. And we've, we've lost a lot, a lot of goals. And it's not just that you don't just blame the defenders, you know, you, you blame a lot of things, the whole shape. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely something that we need to work on and get right for next year because it's at our park. Paul, you know the park. It's it's big mm-hmm. and it's it's it does slope slightly, so it it takes some getting used to. Uh, for even for players when they when they come at first, you know they don't. It's not an easy park to play on, and the wind howls right through from one end to the other. So, up there. Uh, one half your backs to the wall, and the other half you've got the wind. So. Yeah, it's something we need to work on definitely, especially being being a defender myself. You would think that you would, it's the first thing you think. But I like I like to see my my team play. You know, want to, you want to go and score goals. Not quite so much Newcastle under Kevin Keegan and <laughs> score three, we score four because my heart and I don't think Big Army's heart would take it every week. But we need to we need to try and shut up shop much more at the back. And the teams like Sir Nielsen and that that you mentioned that we played there, they're very good. They've been excellent. And they don't lose many goals, you know, solid at the back. And it's something that we must aspire to do next year. Have you ever thought about pulling the boots back on? No. Is, no. It, is, it, is it finished? No, I did. I played one game for Garkham and I was uh, coaching under David Gregg when he went there uh, up at Lanark. And we won 4-1. And I'll take that as my, my final game. I played centre-mid, honestly. Never played centre-mid in my life. <laughs> you know, couldn't he move, but just stood in the middle of the park telling everybody else what to do. How old are you now? 36. It's no over yet, is it? Honestly, on grass, you would maybe get away with it. See, on Astro, it would take me two weeks to get back 
walking properly. Do you miss it though, Willie? You actually Every miss day. it, do you? Every day, yeah. I say that to any, any footballer that's coming through that, that listens to this or if I love speaking to them, enjoy every day. I think you would actually enjoy it more if you went and did something first. See, if you were 16 and you went and did a year's apprenticeship, a year's labouring, and then went to be a footballer, you would enjoy it so much more because you don't know what you've got until you no longer have it. You know, from the ages 15, I left school, and right up until I left uh, Thistle in July 2012. I had done nothing else. That was my job every day, was playing, getting in, playing football. And then you think, you know, you did moan. You moaned at times, you moaned about this, you moaned about that. And then you go back and you just wish you had it all to do all over again because you would appreciate it so much more. Was was management something then that you always thought you'd like to go into? I mean, we've talked about how your kind of characters changed, but you know, to get your your sort of your your full your fill of football as much as anything. Well, not coaching, definitely. I really, really enjoy the coaching side of it. Management, it wasn't something I'd thought about, but obviously when the opportunity came along, you can't you can't turn that down. You know, it's some, something that you, you don't get offered a lot of the time. So, you know, it's especially at such a a club that's ambitious as they are um, so no it, was, it wasn't something that I thought about there and then or as early as that but you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I have had and I am enjoying it a lot, it's challenging in ways that I didn't think it would be but you know, I'm, I am enjoying it a lot Would that be late and say, do you, do you coach a model as well with the, on the, the women's side of the game? Uh, the analysis stuff help out help out uh, Eddie with that so uh, it's, it's different I did it with Gary Caldwell and took me in at Partick Thistle uh, to to do the first team analysis so that was brilliant you know I, I can't thank him enough for that um, you're, you're exposed to the day-to-day workings of analysis and how important it is to, to certain managers and especially I know we, we can play at it Underneath, you know, Rangers, Celtic, Aberdeen, Motherwell, Clark, uh, Ross Clarkson, Motherwell's very, very good. Um, they use it quite well. But in terms of how it, how it's going forward in football, the analysis side of it's just going to get bigger and bigger. You know, like American football almost. I think we even your managers in the Ocean Marino now talking about players' numbers. His numbers are right. I hear a lot of that, so they must rely heavily on on that kind of stuff. I'm sure uh, you'll be getting it at Gap Cairn very shortly. Uh, we try, yeah, we try and do everything to the best we can. With the, the VO, VO is a good one if you're, you know, you don't need anyone to man it. You just stick the pole up as long as it's not windy, which it's, it's not very often that it's it's not windy up at Gap Cairn, but tie it to the fence because. You're amazing. It's amazing when you 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 what you remember in the game, or more to the point, who's at fault for that goal, and how did that goal start, and how did you know how can we combat it next time? And then you look at it and you go, didn't realise that. You know, so it's it's a great system to use because if you're just going with what your your memory is, you're usually getting it wrong. 
My name's Chris Jane and I'm the Conan Rangers manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Ashfield have signed Gary McCann on loan from Pollock until the end of the season. Airdrie Director of Football Stuart Miller reckons players will need a mini pre-season if and when League One returns and wants an extension to the transfer window too. Scottish Junior Football Secretary Alex McDowell is poised to try summer football in the Amateur Football Central League, which he also operates. An agreement has been reached to trial two divisions based in Lanarkshire. East Kilbride have completed the signing of former Celtic loanee Kieran McGrath. The 19-year-old striker spent a period with the Hoops last season before embarking on a short-term deal with Icelandic side Grotu in the summer. My name's Tommy Sloan, Ockenlet Talbot manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Got Ken boss Willie Kinneber is our guest this week. Well, we, Willie, we've uh, we've talked about management. Uh, let's rewind to 2002 when uh, when Motherwell went into administration. Bad for the club, but um, was it kind of good for you in a way with the likes of Carl Reddy, Greg Strong, Eddie Forrest leaving, and and then that maybe opened the door to you getting your chance. Yeah, it was. Uh, obviously, you don't expect to be playing in a, a first team at that age. Um, when you're when you're coming through, and obviously when the news broke about the the administration and all these players were were leaving, it was it was sad. It was difficult to you know to see them go and your peers. You don't you don't want to see people lose their jobs. Um, but on the other hand, we were we were being brought in and told that we were the future of the club and we had the opportunity to to go into the first team and you know and try and make that place your own and keep it. So a bit bittersweet, but you know if it wasn't for that, you you, you don't know. You, you like to hope that you would have came through, but you don't know. I mean, my, when I first went into Motherwell, you were Andy Gorham, John Spencer, Don Goodman, you know, uh, Simo Valakari. You know, that's some caliber of player. You know, and to to then move them out of the way for for you to get a game is is a lot harder. So the administration side definitely helped a lot of us uh, that played in that team to come through and play but it is bittersweet you don't want to see that happening to your, to your fellow players Coming back on what you said you think you should do something before football is that just to give you that kind of realisation that there's another world out there this is not for you know this is not forever and do you think a lot of times boys can't enjoy it, especially maybe in Scotland where your, your year to year contracts you're not maybe getting a three or four year contract Brings a pressure as well. Absolutely, you know you're one injury away from from not playing. You know not getting that contract renewed, and you know it's something that up in Scotland when there's when it's such a, a kind of small and not overly well paid game uh, that it's tough. You know people look at you and you go a football player and you don't realise that I seen a quote from uh, is it David Hopkins the uh, ex-Morton manager that you know has average wage for Morton in championships £300 a week that's that's minimum wage yeah it's, you know people just look at you and go oh, he's a football player he must be on a lot of money you know and if you're relying on bonuses and you're relying on appearance money and it's pressure it's pressure to perform every single day every single week you know and then you get an injury and you can understand where the mental health issues come in in football when when that's not happening, 
So ha- going out and even in terms of going out and doing things, you know, Motherwell sent us to Motherwell College to get business management degree of playing hide and seek in Motherwell College. But it was, <laughs> uh, you know, it was something that was tried to help you. You don't, you're, you're young and daft, and you don't really appreciate it at the time. But you, you need something to fall back on with football. You 100% need something to fall back on. That leads me on nicely because obviously our paths have crossed twice at Motherwell and at Thistle. And I look back to that team that you come through at Motherwell, uh, McFadden's and Clarkson's and Lasley's, Paul Quinn and that I think was a bit younger than that. Do you, do you think? Do you think? Do you think that team really underachieved with you? I've heard other podcasts where they always talk about the Hibs team, but I was obviously there and I've seen that team. And there were some players, even you know, Kev McDonald and stuff like that. It was a brilliant team. Do you think that, yeah. that team could have done better? Well, you did. You actually went, went a lot of, most of you went and played in the first team, or a lot of you went and played in the first team. Yeah. Um, when Eric Black came in as a manager, uh, Terry was assistant. Chris McCart came in on board as well, and Chris then was the under-18s manager. And we had played maybe eight eight games in the under eighteens league. And that was all the players that were playing, all the guys that you just mentioned, um, David Clark and uh, Brian Dempsey, guys like that. And when Chris came in, uh, he took he took our under eighteens, and we went I think some stupid like twenty games in a row that we won in the under eighteens league, which at the time was all the big guns that were playing. You know, Sean Maloney, John Kennedy, Craig Beattie. Brian Prunty, uh, you know, all these boys came through at Celtic. Rangers were the same with Tam Brighton, Daryl Duffy, you know, the, Andy Dowie. Great, great players in that team, and we were, we were, we were beating them every every week. Aberdeen had had a smashing team. All players that came through the ranks. It was just a, the Hibs boys were the same, exactly the same age. You know, they they all came through and. I think that was a nucleus of us being able to then step up to go into the first team. Don't get me wrong, the administration, that that was why we got our opportunity as early as we did. And it's maybe why Motherwell produced so many players, because you're forced into it. But the standard, it's difficult. I think comparing it is, we were more mature at that age than people are at that age nowadays. And it wasn't that long ago, you know, you're talking 2000, 2001 that happened. So it, when Hearts went into administration, they produced a lot of good players because they were forced to. And the way that the SPL was, SPFL was structured, there's, there's, no, there's no give for a manager to go, do you know what? I'm playing five of them, I'm playing six of them today. Because if you lose two or three in a row, you're, you know, you're staring at relegation, you're staring at being sacked. So it's it's tough. It's very very tough. But we held our own. I mean, that, some of the games that we that we were teams that we were putting out, and we were, you know, Laz was an experienced player, and Laz had to play that many games when when I first broke in, and he was then looked upon as a you know a, a senior pro. We obviously had the guy like Leachy and all the all the guys Phil, you know, that to come in and to help, but it's it. It must have been really difficult. Well, I'd say it must have been really difficult. He didn't have any other option to, than to play us at that age. Especially when e- e- Eric had been in there as well, because he brought in some 
he brought in a, a spell there with some fantastic French players, didn't he? Eric Delamo and guys like that. And uh, yeah. there was guys coming in, there was guys coming in out that, that club all the time. And then kind of lose all them over the eight and then the, the left with the guys. But super talented guys like Piro and Fadi and guys like that in the team. They just, I don't know, he just seemed to just step in there and, and go. It wasn't as if there was this big void and they just this conveyor belt of players that Model will just continue to produce. Yeah, it's renowned, you know, and you look at how they've carried on doing it with Turnbull and boys like that that have just been sold. I think Turnbull went three million, and um, Scott went to Hull for a million, one point one yeah. million. James Scott. James Scott. Yeah, uh, you know. So it's, I don't know what it is. Obviously, David Palin was head of the youth, and then Chris McCart, and then it was Leachy, and now it's Hamill. So. You know, they're doing something right. You know, they're, they're, they're certainly doing something right. I think where we are based, South Lanarkshire and North Lanarkshire and that kind of melting pot of Hamilton, Motherwell, you know, all these places, Uddingston, East Kilbride, that there's a lot of players, a lot of good quality players that, that that want to play and have access to play football. Whereas you go into the schemes of Glasgow, is still the same calibre of player, but they maybe tend not to play. Maybe tend to go and do to do other things, you know. It's unfortunate, but you can only just tip your hat to, to the guys that are uh, the head of the, the youth systems that are bringing through these players because it's it's how we've now qualified for the Euros, all these guys coming through. And I guess we've talked about, or you've talked about how your management style is fairly different to Terry Butcher's. Uh, I mean, how at the same time, how how good was he back then when when he was kind of bringing in, in the likes of yourself and giving young boys a chance? Did, did you enjoy playing for him at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. He was as a motivator. There is no one any better. You know, he would make you feel big. He'd make you feel strong, and he was mad. Absolutely mad as a bag of cats. Some of the things <laughs> that you think back that you used to do, you're like. Like what? Yes, but what kind of things would he do? It have you. He was quite kind of army, kind of army orientated. I think he was, he was his father and that were born and mm-hmm. uh, he was born in a kind of army brat. So he would before you were going out, he would have your kid on. You were fixing a bayonet onto the end of the, <laughs> onto the end of a gun <laughs> onto one of these rifles and. You're, you're jagging it into the enemy. Thou shall not pass, he was screaming. Thou shall not pass. Thou shall not pass. Like I said, Michael Caine at Azulu. He's uh, honestly yeah, brilliant. Just, you know, he would be right up for the game. He would, you know, scream and shout and have you really fired up. And then, on the other hand, some of the stuff that he would... He would Called me and Craig's. We were getting beat 2 1 at Livingston at half time, and he was screaming at me and Craig's that we were Captain Mannering and Private Pike. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and I'm taking Captain Mannering, Craig's with Pike. (laughs) (laughs) So, some of his quotes were genius, absolutely genius, but such a gentleman. Away from the football, he was a lovely, lovely man. What did you think him in terms of tactically? Because I, I often refer to him, obviously, 
I loved the guy. I thought he was brilliant. He was he, when I worked there. He was a great guy to to work with and just a, an absolute gentleman. But I looked at things he'd done, like Jim Parson. So obviously, Jim had died. Maybe Jim had broke his leg, didn't he? And I always looked at Jim as sometimes as if he was running, as if he was maybe towing a caravan a wee bit. He was a wee bit slow, but he turns him into a kind of left kind of wing back. And I just always get the sense as a manager, he was a type of guy that would say, that's your job, that's what you're doing today, get the ball and give it to him. And then you look at guys like Jim Parsons, I think Jim got a move off the back of that, didn't he? Did he go somewhere like Plymouth or Gale? Or, yeah. They paid money for him. And, and I just always felt, looking at his teams, uh, that he just got guys to do a job, didn't expect anything else, that was your job. And, was he like that with you? Yeah, he simplified it. You know, he, he simplified the game. It, it was it was a different game. It wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't dropping into the six-yard box to take the ball off the goalkeeper and play 10 passes before we had got 20 yards out of your goal. You know, if you had done that, he'd have had you by the throat. He, was, he, was, he simplified the game, you know, we were at 4-4-2 or 3-5-2. You got the ball out, you gave it to your full-backs, you hit the channels, we worked on it, you know, you had wee Scotty running the channels, Jim Patterson, he hit the, hit Big Jim up front, if, you know, and play off the second balls, and, it, you know, it's a very, very simple game, which, you know, it's not it's not played like that now, people think that, you know, the, the tiki-taka, Pep Guardiola style is, is the way to go forward, and, you know, who's to say it is, there's many ways to, to play the game, so, at that moment in time, that was what our style was. We got it wide, especially got it to fullbacks, got it down the channel, get crosses in the box, hit the second striker, get the midfield up. So he did simplify it, and he just loved defending. He loved it. He just lived to defend. You know, it was like, you know, it was it was what he, you know, he used to take me and some of the other kind of younger guys over and. You know, you'd have 100 crosses, you would thump balls right up in the air, and you had just to run and get fired out of a cannon to header it. And he loved it, he, lo- he absolutely loved it, and he loved nothing better than a, a good, hard tackle. A fair, but hard tackle. You know, that's what, you know, I think scissors, the scissor tackle died out in about the 80s, but, you know, if, if you could get away with just taking the ball and taking the man, which you can't do now either, but that's what. That's where he got his buzz. So it, it was wonderful to work for, uh, to play under, and it made you feel great when you were playing well. His passion was something else, wasn't it? I mean, I've seen a man so passionate in your life for a, for a game of football, and I think probably that was his secret success when he went to Inverness as well. Inverness must never have seen anything like that in, in their life. No, no, I mean... It, he was, he was addictive, you know, kind of addictive when, when he was going and he was right at it, you know, it kind of made you feel like that as well. And, aye, and that's it. You just, you wanted to, he was the type of person that you wanted to do well for. You wanted to, to do well and please him, you know, and make him, make him happy. You certainly didn't want to make him mad anyway. <laughs> what, what was he like on Helicopter Sunday? There was so much... So much involved in that day, wasn't it? You know, Motherwell against Celtic, him being an ex-Rangers man, Rangers at Hibs that day. You know, yeah, give us was, an insight into what it was like in that dressing room that day. It was, he had obviously, him and Mo had been 
talking about this team talk that they were going to go through. They must have been in there going through the list of players. and So he started off with Marsh and talking about how Marsh was a, a big jambo and he's already ready to stop. He doesn't want anyone winning the you know the, the league in, in our home park. Martin Corrigan, good Rangers man. Craig's good Northern Irish Rangers man. Myself, great Rangers man. Tim Patterson, good good Rangers man, good staunch Rangers man. And then Patty's hand goes up. What? Gaffer. <laughs> I support Celtic. <laughs> Not a day you don't. Not a day. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, brilliant! That that was it. Everyone was laughing. That was the atmosphere, just nice and chilled after that. Yeah. Ah, he, he made it quite. That that day we had absolutely nothing to lose, nothing to lose at all, you know. And didn't it help that Jackie McNamara had uh, pulled over uh, the chair, the chairman, John Boyle, and the when he was Shame. running down the tunnel, he came in in a furious rage. Screaming that we were on triple win bonus to beat them. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, so uh, it, it, it kind of went in a blast. We weren't, we weren't expecting to get turned over, um, and then it down. It was a downpour about maybe twenty minutes before we were due to go out to warm up, and it was it was touch and go whether whether the game was going to be on. It was just this monsoon, and the, the park was sodden, and they did well to get get it cleared up. And, then you walked out and you felt as if you were at Parkhead. There was that many Celtic supporters on the ground. It was incredible. Then just we played the game. We were doing well. And in fact, I heard Martin O'Neill on Craig's show or podcast or whatever he does still moaning that I should have been sent off after the 22nd minute for, for Bellamy, pulling Bellamy down. That was Outrageous. my next question. Outrageous from him. I can't believe I've been living inside his head for all these years. That was a foul on me. A foul on me. It wasn't a foul on Bellamy. They play this back. No. And the, so uh, he moaned at that. And that was Bellamy after that. He he was in my ear constantly. He used to be sent off. He used to be sent off. And I was quite happy because it stopped him concentrating in the game. They scored 1-0. Everybody kind of thought, right, that's it, done. Come out the second half. Again, it was, we were under a lot of pressure. Marsh had a couple of good saves, a couple of goal line clearances. And then corner came in and Craig's, we, we broke up the park and we got a corner. Craig's had a header, it hit a gap right in the face on the line. Should have scored, came out to me. I've hit it, McNamara's cleared it off the line. And a minute after that, Petrov's played a ball out to, I think it was maybe a gap or Varga, and it's went right underneath his foot. And they, they just panicked. You know, as good a players as they all were, you know, there were some fantastic players in that team, but they panicked and they went back 10 yards and they started to worry. Obviously, 1-0, it's never a never a comfortable scoreline. Then uh, the, the all-important sub, big big Jerry Britton came on for Jim Hamilton. That's right. <laughs> as he was running on, he shouted. Do you know what's amazing? I forgot about that. Yeah, he's like, feed the bear, feed the bear. <laughs> <laughs> Having a, a laugh about that on the part, and I think it's uh, Richie Foran. Balls came up, and Jerry's went up to win it, and Vargas just towered over the top of him, knocked it down to the edge of the box. Richie's hit it into the ground, hit wee Scotty in the chest, and he's volleyed it right in the top corner. I'm just thinking there, Willie, they put all the Celtic, they put Jerry Britton on, Scotty's on there, 
Richie Thorne. <laughs> ah, I know. I know. I know. I know. That's why. That's why I'm glad with the second goal, Scotty never squared it to Jerry because he swore to me that it was going into orbit. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, to be fair, I think everybody else was there. They must have all been Celtic sports because when Scotty scored, that was the furthest away from him in the park, Bar Marsh, but I was the first up jumping in his shoulders. But uh, it was great. It was brilliant for us. I mean, surreal, absolutely surreal. And after it, Terry Butcher was in, and me, him, Jim Hamilton, Crago and uh, Martin Corrigan were all in a big huddle jumping up and down. <laughs> and then the best, the, still the best, how he done it, I'll never know. And there was a chap on the door, and the door was answered, and John Clark, the Celtic kit man, uh, Lisbon Lion, you know, um, he's, he said, listen guys, you know, we obviously don't need the champagne. You know, crack on, help yourselves. And he, he put it all into the changing room. You know, a fantastic gesture. You know, they didn't need to do that. So you come in and, you know, bending away, sitting away in the champagne as you do. And the door goes again. Oh, what's this now? It's Tam Boyd, ex-Mullow player. I think he's going to congratulate everybody. No. Can I get my uh, champagne back? Yeah, I had uh, bought a bottle of champagne and put it into the Celtic changing room for a <laughs> 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 miserable get. <laughs> Big Trail told him to do one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, it was, and then Alec McLeish phoned Terry, uh, phoned him from the bus. They were Rangers team were on the way back from Hibernian, uh, and Big Eck phoned phoned Terry, going obviously thanking them and congratulating everybody and that. So, yeah, it was it was nice of them. So, uh, it was it, it's fun memories, you know, and. The, the, that was the last game, obviously, the, the last season, and then we, we got them in again, the first game of the, the following season, Gordon Stratton's first game in charge. Uh, I managed to score. That was four each. I scored to make it four three to them, and then made a pig's ear to make it four each. So, <laughs> Where was that? Uh, Fuck Park? Celtic Park? Aye, for, for, for Park, yeah. Aye, Gordon Stratton's first game in charge. They had just been, I think Celtic just been beat some 5-1 or something off a... Armenia. Yeah. Aye, that's it. So that was a, a surreal kind of two games, even though there was the, the break in between, obviously. But I uh, great, great memories against some some great teams. You know, never see the likes of the teams again up here. The the Celtic team and the Rangers teams that that were running about then, just incredible players. When when you think back to those days, you know you you retell those stories. You speak about the players you faced and beat. You look back at your playing days and now older, wiser, you're a manager. Do you look back and think you didn't fulfil your potential? Uh, no, I never ever, I never worry. I never kind of be down about what, what I did in my career. And it was Paul Hegarty when he came in as the assistant manager of, of Mullow under Mo. You know, he, you know, he said to he said to a lot, all of us at the time, you know, if you get this is a guy who I think he played for about 20 odd years with Dundee United. And he says, if you can get 10 years as a professional, you're doing really well. You're doing really well. He says, just be happy with what you've got. So that kind of stuck with me. And I've, I've never ever looked back with any regrets. You know, yeah, we all want to be Sergio Ramos, but you know, you are what you are. And you, you've still got the memories to talk about. 
So, no, I, I'm delighted with what I achieved and the players that I played against and with. So, how long after that then was it before you went to, to Thistle? Uh, tooth, January 2008, uh, I signed for, for Thistle. So, what happened there? Just a couple of players coming at Fur Park, just doing the peck murder yeah, a wee bit and then. I was always on the bench, you know, I'd been on the bench, unused sub for, for a number of games and it wasn't a it's never good. You want to play, you know. You build your week up to the, the Saturday. You want to play. So this would come in and offered a, a loan move. Uh, so I had went there for a month, or the month of December. And enjoyed it. You know, it was a good team, good experienced team, guys. Mark Roberts, Simon Donnelly, Alan Archibald. So I, re- I really did enjoy it. So, so when the the clubs came to a, an agreement with money. Um, and then I, I moved across, and it was a no-brainer, really, because playing every week for Thistle or kind of sitting on the bench, getting the odd game here and there for Motherwell, so I decided that I wanted to go and play. How did you find the two dressing rooms? Because you went from being all your pals, albeit some of them had, had, had left Motherwell at that point, but you'd been there since you were a kid, then going into that dressing room because there were some characters in there. I don't Maxi would have been there at the time, but... Uh, or or Hinshe, that's maybe a, bit, a wee bit later on, but it was a pretty mad dressing room, that wasn't it? Yeah, Hinshe was there. Hinshe was playing. He was he was star player. Um, yeah, there was a Mark Roberts, Sid Donnelly, uh, John Robertson, you know Alan Archibald, Gary Harkins. Uh, I think who else? You know Mark Mark Twaddle. Uh, some some good. Some good experienced players that have been about for for a long time, and then it was different. It was very different um, in terms of humour. In terms of there wasn't it. wasn't really the same kind of mu- mutual respect. You know, it was a kind of no holds barred at Thistle. You know, the model you kind of towed the line with your whatever you got away with <laughs> just slightly. <laughs> Thistle was just ah, just any man safe. <laughs> it was mad. It was mad. Absolutely mad. And how did you feel? I touched it before. You were a big character anyway, so you would have just sailed right in there. I, 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 I took it. Well, I took it water. I was, I was fine. I could, I could hold my own. Too bad, you know. I was good. It was good. You no, know, like I said, we, we Stevie Murray, and Liam Buchanan, and guys like that. So. It was a cracking change and a brilliant, brilliant laugh every day. You know, you were always on your toes, looking for the next prank that was going to be played. <laughs> yeah, but it was also good in the training field because everybody was experienced and demand demanded high, high quality every every training session. So you know, I was going to say that it was, was, it, was it a change in professionalism over the no, 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 not in terms of football. No, no, everybody. You know, as soon as it came to the football, it was it was down to hard work and on the training field and stuff like that, it was it, nothing changed in that respect, just more just the, the mentality of the, the lunatics that was surely changing. <laughs> and was that under Ian McCall? Yeah. Yeah, that how, was Ian McCall, yeah. How was he compared to Terry Butcher? You know, was he, because he's a bit of a football boffin, isn't he? Aye, oh, he's been, a, he's been in the game a long, probably one of the longest serving managers in Scotland. Um, knows his football inside out. No, he was, no, he was good. He, Good manager. Again, you know, he he played under a lot of lot of good managers as well. Came through Rangers and stuff like that. And 
so he knew his stuff. You know, he still does. Obviously, he's 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 thistle manager just now, and he was another one that demanded the most and the best out of you. Uh, and he looked he looked at the kind of the game in a in a slightly different way from other managers, which is always good. You know, he was obviously a, a quite a tricky kind of winger forward type player. So he he like he loved a wee bit of skill and a bit of you know, intricate play in the, the final third, and then he was quite happy if just, you know, just defend. Let, let, left you to it that way. Had it always been in your head at some point that you wanted to get in the police force, or was that something that was suggested when, when uh, you know, when when your, your days were maybe coming towards an end, or how did that all come about? Yeah, I had, I had a third operation in my, my hip, so I was scunnered and I just thought you know I'm going to need to try and do something sooner rather than later. Uh, I still had over a year left in my contract at, at Thistle um, but then when I put my application in for the police the only reason I did that is because the fire brigade were only recruiting um, <laughs> so when I, got ex- when I got accepted to that <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a kind of take it or leave it, you know, you're not going to get another shot at this. So it was a career at the end of the day, and that's the way I look at it. It is a career, and you know, you're, albeit you can be working some crazy hours, but it's a job that's going to be there forever. Obviously, the police isn't, isn't going to, you're not going to get made redundant, and you're not, you're not going to lose your job unless you, unless something happens, but. The, no, no, it annoys me. No, it annoys me. I failed the exam. The exam? It's like primary seven stuff. How was that? <laughs> it was that long division that done me. <laughs> long division? Was it no sort of about train fare or something like that? If you paid £2.40 and get East Cobride, how much change have you got at a fiver? Aye, that was the one. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, believe it or not, I'm relatively clever, so I didn't struggle with any of that. But uh, it was a shock. It was, oh, it was a shock to reality, honestly. My very first set of shifts was a night shift, so you start work at 10. Night at shift? Night. Yeah. Uh, it was Pollock. So, started work at. Sorry? There's most places. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, a night shift and the guy, the poor, the poor guy that was uh, looking after me, my, my kind of tutor guy, he uh, he looked at me about four in the morning. I turned ashen grey and was peeling off my body armour, and just my body was going to shut down. I just didn't know what had hit me. You know, I used to be in my bed, sound asleep, or just coming in for a night out. Never mind, you know, trying to. Stay focused, and oh, that was a shock to reality. I'll never, never forget that. Anybody ever recognise you on the job in those early days? No, I did did a few football games, and you get the kind of odd person looking at you funny, but no, not not too much. It's when you say your name, and everyone goes, I know that name for somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Helicopter Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) When you took that job, then. You went and played, as you said earlier on, into the juniors game, and it was almost—it must have been a bit of a, you know, culture shock all around. You know, you, you were saying like when you went to Ely Meadow, 
it wasn't as easy as you thought it was going to be. You're in the police force up at four o'clock in the morning. Was, were, were there days when you were pining for those days back up for a hill and, and having a bit of a laugh? Or, or did you just look at it as, no, this is my future now and this is this is what I've got to stick in it? Ah, you always thought, I wish I was back playing football. You know, that never leaves you. I still think that. But, you know, you know where you're where your bread's buttered now and you know what you've got to concentrate on for the rest of your, your kind of working life. So you don't look back at it with kind of bad memories of joining. You just go, something that needed to be done at the time and you don't regret it because, you, you know, you need it. You need it for your, your family. You need it for to keep a roof over your head and, and keep earning money. So unfortunately, probably 95% of players in Scotland won't earn anywhere near enough to have a, a kind of comfortable lifestyle after you're straight into a job and you know, unless you've got qualifications or you've got an in somewhere you just need to take what you get and how did you find life at the juniors going down to the meadow in fact they would have been probably paying more money at the time than uh, <laughs> <laughs> than the police uh, no no it wasn't too bad uh, was kev uh, there at the time kevin mcdonald no, he, he had left. I came in and he left. He went to Coburnley with Swifty, actually. He, right. He went there. Um, was it Mark Campbell? He right. was He was there. Richie Barth, um, Chris Strain, Neil McGowan. Some, again, a lot of guys that had all played at you know, a good level. So, uh, it, was, it, it, was, it was good. It was a game. It was playing football and getting a few bob for it and you know, coming off a night shift and going straight to the games, that was hard. That was really tough, you know, your eyes were popping with your head and you're you're trying to go and play. So it was it took a while to get used to, you know, you probably didn't probably didn't do as well as I should have done because I struggled to adjust just to, to working and playing. Because you're all over the place. And you went from the Meadow to Canvas Lang Rangers, Thornywood United, Large Hillford as well towards the end. I mean how do you look back on all those days there across those clubs? Uh, after after Irving Meadow, I just kind of went where either friends or you know I knew the manager, and it was nothing other than again you know a game of football to go and do a new wardy well at Canvas Lang. So went down there, um, got a bad injury with my ankle, and I was out out for a bit, and then went to Largs to help out one of my one of my friends that was in the police who was a manager, Slavers. Yeah, went to help him out there and enjoyed that. And then Hurlford was was good, you know, it was a it was a good team that did well in the kind of amateur amateur ranks. So I just kinda of tried to enjoy my football after after that. It was nothing more than just a, a kind of hobby, just to, to keep playing as long as I possibly could. And the hip was all right then or was that just you were just playing really. through it and it was nah, nah. I just playing. Can I get getting getting through it so well, I don't know if the managers or the, the players that I played next day would say that, but <laughs> it was kinda of, in a roundabout way getting through it and then suffering throughout the week to the next Saturday. And I mentioned at the start, yeah, six appearances for the end of twenty ones. I mean, that was that was some squad you were part of back then. When you look at some of the the names, Rainer Bonhoff was a manager, obviously. But Chris Burke, Derek Ryden, Alan Hutton, Gary O'Connor, Chris Boyd. What was what was that like? It was great to be involved. It, you know, I was fortunate enough to get capped at under nineteens and under twenty ones level. You know, it's an honour. 
And again, yeah, some of the players that you played with and against, uh, what they've went on to achieve is is incredible. So, you, I mean, you, you'll never forget them and when you're watching them on the telly and they're, you know, they're, they're playing their stuff down in the English Premiership or, or abroad, you're, you're, you know, you're quite happy in yourself that you've played next to them or against them. And, and, and you're not the only Canibra who's uh, obviously... I've been in Scottish football, but who's also been managing your brother Stephen came through the ranks at Rangers, didn't he? And managed at Corby Town and Kettering. And where, where's he now? Stephen's head of the academy at Kettering, so he's he's there now. Um, as far as I'm aware, he's moving up here to join the to to work with the SFA as a as a coordinator. Is that what you call it? Right. After a, reg- a region, so he'll be doing that shortly after all this kind of COVID dies down, hopefully. Um, but it's not Stephen did. Stephen came through again, an unbelievable Rangers team that he came through with guys like Robert Fleck and, and boys like that. And John Fleck. The BP, John Fleck, sorry, Robert's his uncle. Um, I remember going to watch them in the BP Cup final two years in a row. and Rangers Celtic both times and there was you know, 15, 20,000 people there for an under-16s game. And then you go to, I mean, there's, there's no other team in Scotland out with the two that can command that. It's just unreal. It really is. It's ridiculous. So how does managerial post cut about? Did he get a move? Where did he go from Rangers? Did he head down south then? Or? Yeah, he went to Oxford United. So down there, um, played there for two or three years. Uh, went to Cambridge and then signed as a player coach, I'm sure, with Corby. And then got the, got the manager's post through that and did really well down there for a few years with them. And then it's difficult, though. They've got even more tiers than we've got up here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they've got the population for it. Whereas we, we maybe don't. But, uh, you know, he did really well, um, and he, he was good. I went and watched him a few times, uh, some of the wee grounds that you go to, and that, you know, cranking facilities, cranking setups. Then he moved across and went to Kettering and um, head of their academy, trying to kind of build their academy up into their category C, B and A, I'm sure they are, or 1, 2 and 3, trying to get their their, their academy up, up through the ranks, so... No, he's did well. He came up to Scotland and did his his, his licences up here. He's he's A and he's A youth. So no, I'm, he's he's good. He's right into it as well. When he moves up, hopefully try and get him get him on board. I was I was going to say, do you do you two now talk about management? You know, pick each other's brains and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, you you do, but you don't want to you don't want to dwell on it too much because it, it's difficult. He doesn't know the players, and you know, we'll talk, we'll talk 10 15 minutes just about things that have happened at the games at the weekend, but but nothing nothing in depth, you know. Different if he's up here and he's seen it, and then he's able to give you a feedback, but it's difficult when you're talking to somebody that doesn't have a clue what the game was <laughs> like, you know, and, and how the guy couldn't, you know, kind of defend a cross or whatever. You're, you're moaning at at the time. I'm Adam Hopes, co-manager of Drumchapel United, and you're listening to Down the Divisions.
Which brings us to Inside the Mind. Each week we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Right, Willie, who was your idol as a boy? Coming through, it was probably... It had two, really. I loved Ali McCoyst, as you would do, coming from East Kilbride, um, being a Rangers supporter growing up. But I used to watch Gazeta Football Italia. Uh, I loved that. Just watched it. And I love Franco Baresi. AC Milan were, were great at the time. I think they won eight Serie A's in a row or something under Capello. And I just I love watching their, them back, their back four, Costa Cutler, Barese. They were brilliant. Who's the toughest opponent you faced? A few. There's been a few. Uh, Larson was obviously excellent. Just uh, outside the box, he was, you know, you, you could handle him. Uh, inside the box, uh, it was as if he just pulled Harry Potter's invisible cloak on and just appeared. <laughs> and um, he was really good. Moles was another one. You know, you, you know, he's going to do that turn. He's going to he's going to feign left, take it take it away to the right. And so you had it in your head, right? He's going to feign left, take it away to the right. Yeah, go to the right, go to the right, go to the right. He'd go short, you'd run up. Boof, yeah, yeah, I'm away to the left again. <laughs> he was away the other way. Oh, brilliant. It's just that turn, unbelievable. They two were brilliant. Uh, but I would say De Boer. Mm. He, he was stood out as a, a genius, just his brain. He, he would take you into areas that he didn't like. You didn't want to go in, but if you didn't go in, he would get the ball. So you were caught between the goal and not goal. He, I thought he was he was fantastic. Brilliant. Uh, what's the favourite football top you've worn and why? One of my first ones, I think, I had Sampdoria with Lombardo on the back. <laughs> that was my dad got me that one for my Christmas, and I loved it. And I actually was looking to try and get another one on that classic shirts.com or whatever you call it, but they're looking for about four hundred quid. Who's the best player you've played with? With. Yeah, I thought, you, I thought you'd say McFadden straight away there. Nah. Yeah, Faddy was brilliant. You know, Faddy really was brilliant. But there was some of the guys in the 21 squad as well Well, were exceptional. Um, oh, tough one. Uh, probably you get like some Maloney, Faddy. But Paul Gallagher as well, who played the oh, yeah. Blackburn. He he was he was very very good as well. Um, I thought you get to say Francois Dubado. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Uh, probably for what he did with Scotland uh, and just how you know how much of an idol he is now. Probably I'll go with Faddy. When you came through the ranks with him, didn't you? So uh, uh, it was brilliant. You know, it was it was absolutely brilliant in training every day. He would do some outrageous stuff all the time so maybe didn't appreciate it as much as we should have when you saw him do that against France and stuff like that because you, yeah. you saw it quite a lot you know and uh, it was great when he got moved down to Everton and watched them against Man United and all these teams so no what a player what a player and what's the best practical joke you've seen the, can you narrow it down I know there was a few us man wrote the book <laughs> um, 
the 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 car registration was that was good. Uh, I must admit that was that was good. Um, we did myself and Paul Quinn got Jerry Britton a good one when he was at was it when he, when he joined Motherwell actually. So he came came to Motherwell. I played I played against Big Jerry for for years when he was at Thistle and he was always murder to play against spaghetti arms. You know he'd elbow you and it's a nightmare. So when he first came in, I thought right here we go. I'm going going to get him. So for about two weeks, all we did was we cut cut the legs off his his trousers and we cut a pair of boobs out his out his t-shirts, regardless of what he was wearing. Every day we did this. So it got come on, it got on and on and on and on to the point he started wearing his gardening gear into training. <laughs> so, so we couldn't get his gardening gear anymore. So we got his car keys and we took his car and we parked it miles away up in the, one of the astroturfs. And we never said anything to him, but we left his phone just sitting where he got changed. Nothing else. And then for, it must have been about six hours, every half hour, we gave him another clue. <laughs> another clue and another clue to where his car, to where his car was. And I, I think he eventually got there, eventually, but I, he was not best pleased. He wasn't the best pleased at all. I could never yeah, imagine him getting annoyed either. I know, I know. He was laid back, is not he? He was dead placid. I know. He was, he was funny, you know. But ah, we had, we had a few, a few good ones, and all. I get, I get warnings after warnings with manager after manager about no, no doing the practical jokes. And, <laughs> no, Jackie hated me. This one, he absolutely hated it because I went through a. Well, I went through my hip hop, so boys were training at Glasgow Green, and I was demented up the wall. Didn't know what to do with myself, and me and Kenny Crichton were just kind of messing about. And it was a bike, so I'd been cycling around about Glasgow Green as you do. And I thought one day, ah, right, going to be a practical joke for the boys, just for, for something to do and cheer them up a wee bit. Did it training, so I've got the bike stripped off naked. Got one of these big towels. It was floor length right up to my head tied it like a cape <laughs> got a tubey grip put it over my face and just cut two eyes out so away I go cycling circumnavigating I thought right I'll go down the long way and come back up so they can't see me coming so as I went onto the kind of main road down turn left just to go head towards the bridge just at the back of Glasgow Green got to the corner and my chain's falling off in the bike <laughs> Yeah, here we go. So I'm down, bending over, (laughs) fixing this bike chain, and there was a a proper cyclist that pulled up alongside me. Obviously, no knowing what's happening. Just then, I stood up. No, it's all right, mate. It's just my chain. The guy, the guy squealed. (laughs) Started. He didn't didn't even get back on his bike to to cycle. He just ran away with his bike. (laughs) <laughs> this naked guy was right, so back on away I go again going like the clappers and the, the capes flapping in the background Queen of the South are training at the park next to us they're doing a, pra- they're doing a practice match and the boss stopped and just turned a bit and just started watching <laughs> so I'm flying by the park and I bump up on the curb right through the, the pitch heading towards them all the players have just all started laughing. 
a big, did a big donut skin. You could just see a Jackie. Some fucking Kinnebra. That way I went again. Yeah, I went. That was me. Back to the changing rooms. Quickly get changed before I get done with something. <laughs> <laughs> well, Super. My name's Callum Graham, Ashfield striker, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the Down the Divisions decider. Can we get those again, please, Paul? I forgot about this. Right, they were founded in 1877. They've won three Scottish Cups. Pat Nevin played for them. And they've been managed by Billy McNeil, Alex Smith, Alan Maitland and Billy Reid. You know it. So, Wally. I'm going to get us wrong, isn't I? Uh, St. Johnson. I'll give you a clue. You played for them. Yeah, I was going to be what I was going to say. What's this one? No. Clyde. Oh, it's Clyde. All right. Clyde. You'd like to see Clyde up, up in the, the championship at least. Definitely. No, a big team. A big team with decent support. And, ugh, there's a lot of teams down there you could say that about. This was another one in Falkirk. So, funny. Funny old game with the, the way that things worked, especially last year with the the points thing with Thistle, that was just outrageous. Ah, oh, it was, it was a hard one, wasn't it? Sore one for a few of the teams. Oh, how you? I don't know how you can accept that. You know, you've got a game in hand, one point behind, and then suddenly they're they're saying, "No, you're the one that's getting relegated." Help. Willie, thanks for thanks for joining us and uh, thanks for sharing all your stories and your reminiscing and your opinions. And we obviously hope uh, if the if the league starts up again this season that Gar Ken can can shut that back door a bit bit more than they have been in the first uh, part of the season and keep the goals out, keep scoring the goals. And uh, no, I appreciate you being on tonight. No problem, no problem at all. Thanks again to our sponsors, 44 Creative. Go to www.44creativehq.com if you're looking for a photographer, graphic designer, videographer, or video editor. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us with your comments or suggestions for people to speak to, or if you'd like your club's audio featured on the show. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Leave a comment which helps others find us and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions. Down the Divisions.